0: This morning in your Bibles congregation for our reading and also for our consideration, we'll be looking at Proverbs 22 in your pew Bible. You can find that on page 750. Just a word as we make our way to that passage of Scripture, uh, we're not allowing uh, some external a structure to govern uh, the consideration of our Scripture passage this morning. Uh, we're not just preaching on this text because it is Mother's Day, but nevertheless, we do think it's a suitable opportunity to receive biblical instruction for this most uh, important calling uh, that mothers are engaged in, and also, of course, fathers and grandparents. Uh, and you could extend it uh, to the covenant community, this most important calling that we are all in one capacity or in one way engaged in, uh, that of the nurturing, the training, the instructing uh, of children, whether those children be infants or toddlers, uh, preteens, teens, teens, or perhaps whether those children be uh, older. Uh, There is the uh, consistent need for training and for instruction, and so we want to look this morning at a passage that will uh, give us guidance in that activity. So, we read from Proverbs 22, uh, verse 1 through 16, And then we'll be looking especially at verse 6. Here now together the reading of the Word of God. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, loving favor rather than silver and gold. The rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Thorns and snares are in the way of the perverse. He who guards his soul will be far from them. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. He who sows iniquity will reap sorrow, and the rod of his anger will fail. He who has a generous eye will be blessed, for he gives of his bread to the poor. Cast out the scoffer and contention will leave, yes, strife and reproach will cease. He who loves purity of heart and has grace on his lips, the king will be his friend. The eyes of the Lord preserve knowledge, but he overthrows the words of the faithless. The lazy man says, there is a lion outside, I shall be slain in the streets. The mouth of an immoral woman is a deep pit, he who is abhorred by the Lord will fall there. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it far from him. He who oppresses the poor to increase his riches, and he who gives to the rich will surely come to poverty. Thus far for this morning, our reading from the Word of God. And again, our text there is found in verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. A congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ Anyone who has engaged in the activity for any length of time will acknowledge, perhaps with humility, perhaps with a sense of sorrow, that parenting is not for the faint of heart. Uh, Parenting, first and foremost, uh, is a difficult task, a difficult task because of all of the different aspects of it, all of the different responsibilities of it. Throughout the community's celebration of tulip time, uh, I can't help but notice uh, some of the young parents with a number of little children, and they're constantly busy, the children and therefore the parents. My wife and I commented, imagine having multiple children in every one of these parades and having, and some of you know this very well, having just simply the difficult task of coordinating all of the activities. And having all of the children in all the right spots with all the right things. And then, of course, you have the spiritual aspect of parenting. The care, the nurture of a soul. But I suppose that parenting is not only difficult, but it's also something that is continual, perpetual. And as I talk with some of you, your, your children are well past the stages of marching in the Christian school marching band. Your children are grown, moved out of the house, and yet you still have a parental concern for them. It still weighs upon you. The temporal well-being of your sons and daughters, but especially the eternal well-being of your sons and daughters. And I think that's what really presses upon the soul of a parent. Uh, Not only is it difficult, and not only is it a long-term calling, but parenting, uh, I think the task is clouded by the cries that we hear from a secular society. You can walk into nearly any bookshop and pick up a book on parenting, but much of it would be complete foolishness. And yet our secular society, they they, they cry out all the louder as years go by that they alone are the experts when it comes to the training and to the raising of children. And we've even seen uh, certain cries, keep the parents away from the school board meetings, let the experts, let the academic elite handle such matters. And so I would submit to you this morning uh, that parenting is indeed a difficult task. And yet, thanks be to God that the Bible, and by the Bible, God Himself, the one who has given this most solemn responsibility to us, God has not left us without an instruction manual. That instruction manual is found in part in Proverbs 22, verse 6. And so, if we were to ask ourselves this morning, what is the task? What is the task of parenting? train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And we want to say also as way of introduction that this is a proverbial truth. It's not an absolute guarantee, a proverbial truth, not an absolute guarantee, but a proverbial truth that we can rest upon, that we can pray upon, that we can act upon. And so for our instruction and encouragement in the difficult and yet High calling of parenting. This morning we consider this theme encouragement for parenting. First of all, noticing the nature of parenting, and then secondly, the direction of parenting, and then third, the goal in parenting. So, encouragement for parenting, especially for mothers, grandmothers, and great grandmothers, also for fathers, and for the entire congregation. Notice, first of all, the nature of parenting. We're going to be following our text again quite closely. Uh, the nature of parenting is found in this opening exhortation of verse 6, train up a child. If you were to ask, what exactly is parenting? That would be a good beginning definition, to train up a child. Uh, to train up a child by encouraging instruction and by encouraging correction. And what I want to do in this first point is take other passages of Scripture and use them to shed light into this particular phrase, train up a child. And so the calling, the responsibility of the Christian parent is to train up a child, first of all, by way of encouraging instruction. And the Bible is very, very clear that the primary, the initial responsibility for the instruction of a child lies upon the parents of that child. Uh, now, maybe in a former day and in a former age, we could have skipped such basic statements as that. But in our increasingly confused culture, and as that confusion begins to creep into the churches, I mean, we have now come to the age in which the very fundamentals Uh, of human sexuality are being denied. And so we need to emphasize that it is the primary responsibility of the parents, of the father and of the mother. Now we understand that in God's providence at times a child is given out of that context. We understand uh, the sad reality that at times uh, a parent must parent alone. Nevertheless, Uh, we also understand that the biblical norm, the biblical ideal, is that children are given into the nuclear family uh, of one husband, one wife, of, of one father, and of one mother, surrounded by the extended covenant community. And in that context, there is this primary responsibility. You can think, for example, of Genesis 18 verse 19, where the Lord says, For I have known him that is Abraham, in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord. And so the primary relationship of that covenant that was made between the Lord and Abraham was that in part that Abraham might be a means, an instrument to continue the advancement of that covenant relationship from one generation to the next generation because the promise was not only to Abraham but also to Abraham's descendants. And that promise is contingent or dependent only on the sovereignty of God. But the sovereign Lord God is pleased to use human instruments as means to accomplish the promise. You can think also, for example, of Deuteronomy 6 verse 7 uh, where the command is given to parents, you shall teach them... That is the words or the commandments of the Lord diligently to your children. And the New Testament echoes what is so uh, pointed in the Old Testament. For example, Ephesians 6, verse 4 And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. And so, maybe on this first subpoint, we just need to begin our mental or our handwritten notes by writing down. The instruction of children is the responsibility of parents. Now, parents, you have many responsibilities, but this is at the top of the list. The spiritual instruction of your children, that they might come to know the way of the Lord. Train, that word does not simply mean convey intellectual data. But but it's more holistic than that, to teach them how to live, to teach them how to live according to the truth of the Word of God. Now, I have to uh, confess that I don't think I taught any one of my five children how to ride a bike. They can all ride a bike but I didn't teach any one of them how to ride a bike. My wife taught them how to ride their bike. I watched while she taught them. But there's an analogy here. When you teach your children to ride a bike, parents, you don't simply sit them down and give them some type of a lecture, maybe complete with drawings and illustrations and say, well, you know, uh, the, the whole idea is to create enough forward motion that you'll maintain your balance. No, uh, you, you walk alongside of them on that bike. And maybe you begin with training wheels, and then you, you lift the training wheels up a little bit, and they, they, they learn to maintain their balance. Uh, but then what you do is, is you walk alongside of them, and then as they pick up speed, uh, you, you jog alongside of them. Uh, and, and when that moment comes, you take your hand off the seat momentarily, but then they begin to wobble, and you put your hand right back on that seat to guide it. And you give encouraging instruction, and maybe you tell them, you know, keep your eyes focused down the road. Don't look right down at the street in front of you. Have a focal point off in the distance and ride towards it. And that's something more of what we mean by train up a child in the way he should go. Experientially walk the Christian life with them. That's why it's such a wonderful thing that families, Christian families, worship together and attend church together. Uh, that there is the father, the mother, and maybe uh, in Providence, the, the grandparents and the grandchildren. They're all engaged in this corporate Christian life together. And by being engaged in it together, I'm not splitting ourselves up into various demographics, not saying to the children, okay, now you can leave, go off and do whatever children do now. The adults are going to worship. We understand the, the corporate. Impact of being a covenant community and of this responsibility to train up a child in the way he should go. But not only encouraging instruction, but also encouraging correction. Correction is needed. In part, you'll notice in verse 15, and here's one you might say, uh, light that we're shining in on verse 6 training up a child. Well, what does that mean? Give him instruction, give her instruction, but also correction, because foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, the rod of correction will drive it far from him. Uh, When we present our children to be baptized, we acknowledge that they also are conceived and born in sin. There is foolishness bound up in the heart of a child. Lovingly, that foolishness must be corrected. That foolishness, when it expresses itself, especially uh, in unbiblical thoughts and unbiblical actions, must be corrected. And so the covenant child must be encouraged, must be guided, must be trained in the exercise of repentance. And repentance, repentance, first and foremost, is the agreement with the testimony of the Word of God— And then also a sorrow within the soul that we have offended God by violating His clear instruction. And then the turning or the adjusting or the amending of our life. And now obviously the the human parent cannot work that genuine sorrow within the soul. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. But the parent can be an instrument, again, a means, a tool. And you see what this... What this text does not mean is just, you know, swat them good with a rod and that'll knock the foolishness out of them. There is certainly a time and a place for corporal punishment, especially in the early years, lovingly administered. But what this is, is the instruction in the way of repentance. Now, in order to instruct someone else in the way of repentance, it's crucial that you and I be exercising repentance. And we might then come along, our sons and our daughters, and say, well, this is what the Word of God says, and this is what you have done. And the two don't match. And so you need to acknowledge the truth of the Word of God, and with sorrow in your heart, Confess your sins to the Lord and find forgiveness in and through the Lord Jesus Christ and then correct your ways. We dare not leave our children ignorant of the spiritual activity of repentance as the twin sister of faith. Remember, in our own hearts but also in the hearts of our children, foolishness is bound up it's it's tied in there. It's all intertwined into the heart of a child. And so there is this desperate need in parenting to train up a child by the way of encouraging instruction and encouraging correction. Well that then asks this question In what direction are, are we to steer our children? And notice again, we just simply follow our text. And our second point, train up a child in the way he should go. In the way he should go. Now, what I want to do in this point is just simply, first of all, state negatively what the direction of parenting is not, and then state positively what it is. Uh, When the text says, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, train up a child in the way he should go, Negatively, that means that we should not guide a child in the way he wants to go or in the way she wants to go because, again, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. And so, the task of parenting is not simply to help the child follow his or her own inclinations of their heart because we agree with the testimony of the Holy Scriptures that the heart is deceitful and wicked. And very, very early, parents are confronted with this, am I going to allow this two-year-old, this three-year-old, to follow whatever inclinations that their heart has? Am I going to give them everything that they want And hopefully your answer is, no, I'm not going to give them everything that they want. Why? Because you're some cruel cosmic killjoy? No, simply because of the task of parenting. Train up a child in the way he should go, not necessarily the way that he wants to go. And so we dare not just simply let our children find their own ways in life. Uh, Proverbs 16, verse 25 reminds all of us, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And you can think of Eve, right? The fruit looked good to her. It seemed like it was a right way. But it was a way that was contrary to the commands of the Word of God, contrary to the authoritative commands of God Himself. And so it was a way that leads to death. And so all of us need to check our heart and uh, be reminded that we dare not simply follow our own ideas and our own imaginations and our own thoughts for our conduct. Uh, nor is this simply some type of allowance of pluralism in the way he should go. It, this statement is radically countercultural because uh, what the culture will say is that there are, are many, many, many different avenues and everyone's on their own journey, their own spiritual journey. And so maybe some find fulfillment in, in this form of religion, and others find uh, peace and happiness in this exercise of spirituality. Uh, and, and the culture will cry out, Oh, you dare not suffocate your children uh, with this Christian ethic and with this Christian indoctrination. But we stand, or at least we ought to stand, countercultural and say, We dare not give our children biblical direction. We must instruct Him in the way that they should go. And the way that He should go, stated positively, is the way of scriptural truth, scriptural truth in biblical doctrine. Now, it's very common practice to make a distinction, a very helpful distinction, a very biblical distinction between what you could call faith and practice or doctrine and belief, or orthodoxy and orthopraxy. So what we're saying now here is that as Christian parents, when we are given this solemn obligation to instruct our children in the way that he or she should go, that first and foremost demands of us that we would set biblical truth before them, that we would give them from their youngest days until the day when our calling on this life and earth is fulfilled, that we would set before them biblical truth concerning, first and foremost, who God is. If you could give your child one thing, what would you give them? One thing. Now, I know we give our children many things, but just to test our own evaluation of our parenting responsibility, if you could give your child one thing, would it not be the fear of the Lord? Because that's the beginning of wisdom. And included in that fear of the Lord to give to our children the knowledge that there is one only God, a triune God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. With all of His infinite perfections, this God is our Creator and our Redeemer. And not only then the doctrine of God, but then in relationship to the doctrine of God, uh, to teach our children who we are as creatures of God's hand, And, and, and not just similar to the brute realm of animals, but that we are the image bearers of God, having been given not only a body but also a soul, created with a moral capacity and a moral responsibility, with a moral obligation to live in fellowship with God, and then to continue that instruction in graduating depths of degree as they advance in their years of formation, to instruct them uh, that the fall took place and that there is then a noetic effect upon the fall. Uh, that impacts our very heart and our mind. But thanks be to God, there is redemption in and through the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, yes, with many insufficiencies, but to set before our children, this is who Jesus Christ is, and this is what He has done. That they might be well-versed in the steps of humiliation and the steps of exaltation. That they might know from the youngest days of their life that Jesus Christ was incarnate and that He suffered, and that He died, and that He died a substitutionary atoning sacrifice for sinners, and that He rose from the dead. And yes, that He ascended into heaven, a critical aspect of His exaltation and a comforting truth for us here in this life, and that He will come to judge the living and the dead, to impart that unto our children, and then to explain to them the benefits of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the full and the free forgiveness of sins, the empowering work of the Holy Spirit within their lives. And that, of course, ties in with what we said when we are called to exercise this instruction in repentance. We dare not try to teach our children repentance apart from the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That would just simply lead to either some legalistic legalism or to absolute exasperation. This is the most important thing that we can give our children, the knowledge of the Lord. And not only then this doctrine, but also life, to teach them biblical truth in relationship to Christian ethics or Christian morals. And here we don't even need to bring up illustrations because they they abound all around us. But our culture would sell them a lie. And it's our solemn responsibility to present him with the truth. Also concerning ethical behavior, of absolutes, of universal rights and wrongs as an extension of God's holy character. John 14, verse 6, ties in, I believe, quite well with Proverbs 22, verse 6. Training up a child in the way he should go. And what does Jesus Christ say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I say this because we need to be very, very careful that we don't just simply fall into some therapeutic, moralistic deism, some just kind of, okay, children, be good little boys and girls, do what you're supposed to do, and don't do what you're not supposed to do. When we consider what exactly we are called to do in parenting, I think it's most beautifully illustrated by those parents... Who brought their children to Jesus. And so, if you sit here this morning as a mother, as a grandmother, as a great-grandmother, or as a father, grandfather, great-grandfather, bring your children to Jesus in your prayers and in your words. I can't help but think of my wife's paternal grandmother. She used to babysit my, our oldest daughter I don't know how old Faith was at the time. Couldn't have been more than one or two. And Faith's great-grandmother would come once a week, I forget what day it was, and sit her great-granddaughter on her lap by the piano and just simply play, Jesus loves me, this I know. What was she doing? Bringing her great-granddaughter to the feet of Jesus. Instructing in biblical truth, instructing in eternal truth, and only eternity will reveal, and may this be an encouraging word for grandmothers and great-grandmothers, only eternity will reveal the fruit of your labor. The words of a, of a simple hymn, blessed by the work of the Holy Spirit. Well, what then should our goal be and our third point? Here again, I just want to work negatively and then positively. The goal, you'll notice, is stated here when he is old, he will not depart from it. We might simply say it this way the goal is that our children would walk in the truth. This is what John says I have no greater joy than that I hear that my children are walking in the truth. Now we want many things for our children, do we not, parents? We want them to be healthy. We want them to be safe. We want them to prosper. I think every parent wants their children to have a better life, a more successful life. But that ultimately means that we want our children to walk with the Lord all the days of their life. Stated negatively, I believe that we have to say this. Our goal should not simply be to fulfill every social expectation. Our goal in Christian parenting should not simply be to have our children in every single activity and to capture all of the appropriate pictures that we can show to the social world. See, we're doing everything you want us to do. That is not the goal of Christian parenting. I say this because I struggle with it in my own life and in my own heart, and I believe that there are many, many other parents who struggle with this. The difficult expectation that the children have to be in everything and do everything and go everywhere. I fear that perhaps the family altar might be lost in our fervent attempt to be everywhere and to do everything. Think of all of the events that our children can be in. Think of all the places that we can take them. And and then I want to share a, a, a statement that an unnamed elder in the congregation said about his childhood three times a day. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And you can debate when dinner is after the service if that's the afternoon meal or the evening meal, three times a day the family gathered together, had Scripture reading, had prayer. Now weigh it in the eternal balances. I don't say this to add any guilt to anyone. Just think these things through. If you could give your children every opportunity at every activity known in our communities or give your children three gatherings as a family today with scripture and prayer which one would you choose which one would i choose train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old he will not depart from it that's the goal that our children would not depart from the way of life everlasting but that they would walk with the fear of the Lord and godly piety. Proverbs 1, uh, verse 8, again, I believe, summarizes this very well. So I just cross reference that also to shed some light into this goal. My son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother, for they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. Do not forsake. Scripture also says it this way, by the truth, and do not sell it. And one of the most sobering and, and sad realities is hearing the reports, whether they be more anecdotal reports within a congregation or within a family, or whether it be, you know the, the statistics that are gathered by the various organizations. And you, you can debate how accurate these statistics are, but there is a great exodus that is happening from the churches and the great Exodus is found between the ages of 18 and 25. As young people just exit from the church stage left, whether they just wander off, whether they go off to colleges and universities and never establish firm spiritual roots in a Christian community. But it's not enough to just simply walk with the Lord for the first 18 years of your life. When he is old, he will not depart from it. And so, parents, this must be at the very essence of our prayers and at the very essence of our labors, that we labor today in dependency upon the Holy Spirit, praying, Lord, establish the work of our hands. We recognize our own failures, our own insufficiencies, but, Lord, establish the work of our hands lead and guide our children today and all the days of their life in the way of faith and repentance. I think of that phrase that often is echoed throughout the Old Testament, that they would not turn to the right nor to the left. And that also has to be part of our corporate congregational prayers. Lord, remember the next generation. Obtain their hearts. And a word to those who find themselves in those years, the teenage years, the young adult years, buy the truth and do not sell it. I couldn't help but notice because I had to drive past it on the golf cart a number of times, some of the antique cars that were on display this past week. And and if you ever have a chance, young people, Maybe talk to your grandparents, especially probably your grandfathers, and ask them about their first car. Many of your grandfathers, well, maybe more, more my grandfathers, they lived in what was known as the muscle car era, and it seems like every grandfather had a really, really cool sports car when they were a teenager, and it seems that most grandfathers sold that sports car And it seems that most of those grandfathers who sold those sports cars will say, I wish I had never sold it. (laughs) Now, many of them, they they sold their sports car to buy something more family-friendly, but they say, I wish I would have never sold it. Now, that pales in comparison to the spiritual truth. Do not sell your spiritual birthright. Don't sell The Christian faith but hold on to it preserve it with both spiritual hands of your soul and so we come to the conclusion mothers grandmothers great grandmothers an attempt at a Mother's Day sermon and you can evaluate again over lunch how successful it was at a Mother's Day sermon but I'm convinced if I may say this with humility that this is the most important word For mothers, grandmothers, great-grandmothers, and, of course, fathers, and us as a covenant community, what shall we do? Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And for those mothers who are in the trenches and who may not sense fulfillment, may not sense purpose, may wonder after wiping the hundredth runny nose in a morning? Is this really all there is? Don't ever forget the saying, the hand that rocks the cradle does indeed rule the world. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for the instruction from Your Word, and we do humbly pray, Lord, that we might receive the grace necessary uh, to pick up the solemn responsibilities you have given us as parents. We pray for all of our parents, especially mothers, as they labor in a work that is often despised and ridiculed by our society. Uh, May they see the high value of their calling, and may they labor with a focus uh, of training up their children in the fear of the Lord, in the way of the lord and the way in which these children should go and lord we pray for the hearts of our children and our young people convert them regenerate them increase their faith show them the joy and the gladness that there is in the christian life and may they never turn to the right nor to the left but may they walk with sincerity of purpose all the days of their life with you as their Lord and as their God. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.